1: Welcome to the midside, where we don't celebrate Christmas before Thanksgiving. I'm your host, Justin M. Lesniewski, the hopeful romantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. Perhaps most of all, what I'm about to say. For me, the Christmas season has always traditionally started when you are listening to this episode, and what I mean by that is the day after Thanksgiving. The final parade in the Macy's Day Parade, the final float in the Macy's Day Parade is supposed to be Santa Claus. And then the Christmas season officially starts. You put your tree up the day after Thanksgiving. But now everyone wants to start Christmas right after Halloween. I guess no one has anything to be thankful for. And I will credit anonymously one of my students who pointed out that It fits our culture very well that we don't care about Thanksgiving anymore because we are entitled to everything. So a little bit of holiday food for thought this post-Thanksgiving week. Now let's get on with the show. Joining me this trip from his corner office, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green.
0: Hello, hello. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm getting uh, all the logistics ready for Thanksgiving. Um, lots of, uh, lots of uh, preparations for the deep fried turkey, which I do every year. And uh, people from uh, across the globe come to uh, enjoy the deep fried turkey that I make. Uh, but man, do we have some farce this week, don't we? Uh, we've been following this open AI story, but I don't think we're going to get into it until next week. There's still way too much breaking uh, on that. But um, there's a whole lot of farce in there. But uh, I'm super, super uh, excited for the farce that we'll get over Thanksgiving. Hopefully we'll, uh, we've got the continued farce of the whole Michigan situation. We had another victory this weekend and uh, going into Ohio State weekend. But uh, uh, did you see that uh, the coach has decided not to sue to get to get back the games? They're just going to, he's just going to take the three-game pen, uh, penalty without, uh, without, uh, going to the courts. So it's going to be interesting to see if we ever find out exactly what the rationale was for why they suspended him. So Harbaugh. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, he's still suspended for the Ohio state game, yeah. right?
0: Yeah.
1: Right. I mean, and that's ultimately, I think what they, what was wanted here. Yeah. So I guess they, they get to well, follow up on that. Hold on. I just want to follow up because mid lucid made a good point in the discord this past week. And I just wanted to to read that because I think it's really important to note here. He's saying that Michigan isn't getting targeted because they're winning. They're getting targeted because Harbaugh is a disruptor. He doesn't abide by the unwritten rules and doesn't want to be liked or be part of the club. It started with his satellite football camps, and there's been focused criticism, criticism in every decision he's made since then. And I think that is the greatest thread as a parallel to Belichick, William, where Belichick you know he doesn't even let it, let himself be in Madden because he has yeah. no interest in being a part of the union and being part of the group. And I think when you talk about being a disruptor here, I think that's become a buzzword among your community, William. No, not the not the gay or trans community, not the queer community in the in the tech community, and that's bled over into the rest of culture. Where yeah. I think to succeed on the level, someone like Belichick or Harbaugh or Um, Nick Saban succeeds on and even Dabo Sweeney when Clemson succeeded on the level they did you have to be a disruptor and with football it's not abiding by the unwritten rules because the unwritten rules enforce a certain type of culture and to make these teams succeed over the number of years they do these cultures have to create their own culture and that culture is necessarily going to disrupt the other culture so I do agree with midsider lucid however i don't think what he's saying contradicts that harbaugh is being targeted or michigan's being targeted for winning i just define winning as or a necessary element of winning in the way they're winning as being a disruptor because remember there are teams that do win every year or get hype every year that Aren't as successful as an Alabama, a Clemson, a Patriots, a at Michigan the way they're being now.
0: Yeah, yeah. And just to give people who are, aren't football fans, uh, context, this was uh Michigan's thousandth win this weekend in college football.
1: Well, right, and the, and that in the long run, and also the resurgence of the program since Jim Harbaugh took over. Yeah. Yep. So I think what he said, what, what Midsider Lucid said is it puts a real fine point on it. I think it gets more to the essential of the issue. So I appreciated that point.
0: Yeah, and we're not just complimenting you because he's listening live, like you can too on Discord.
1: <laughs> good plug, good plug. Let's get to some other plugging and then farce after that in Life on the Midside.
0: Take a good look around.
1: As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode, Locals is per month. That's the Midside.com slash Patreon or the Midside.com slash Locals. We accept any and all support, including and perhaps most of all, affirmations. All right, William, to start, we have a little bit of celebrity farce. And I really want to know what you think of this because. I think a lot of this is a result of social media culture. And it's one of those things that why do we care? And I think we also have to start parsing language here to know if we should care or not. So Snoop Dogg, who is known for his relationship with marijuana and also his relationship with Martha, Martha Stewart is giving up one of those two things. No, it's not Martha Stewart. Snoop Dogg, Tweeted recently, and he has shared it on. Can I say tweeted anymore? How do you say communicated on X? William, I don't know. He Xed on X, posted on X, but that's so wordy. Like tweeted is so succinct. Bring but back the farewell. Huh. That's an old. So this is, <laughs> this is what he said. This no. I got the reference. I got the reference. I just let the the audience. I wanted the the listeners to soak that one in. He 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 wrote this on Instagram and X. And when I say X, he didn't write it on DMX because DMX is dead. All right. After much consideration and conversation with my family, I've decided to give up smoke. Please respect my privacy at this time. Now, here's the deal, William. My fr- I have two questions about this. The first question is everybody's speculation. Is this just marketing? Right? Is he just trying to get publicity? Because apparently he's gotten involved in some marijuana related ventures very very recently and then the second thing is is this just a a case of bad grammar and bad communication because it doesn't say he's giving up marijuana he said i've decided to give up smoke and also that's not smoking it's smoke am i looking too far into this
0: i don't know i was thinking the same thing does this mean he's only eating edibles or vaping like what's going on here
1: that was um, the same thought I had.
0: <laughs> he's got a new vape product on the on the uh, in the pipeline. I I I don't know, but this this has uh, I think I'm gonna make an announcement on Twitter that I'm giving up on being gay. Um, maybe he's just giving up on the culture, um, you know the the smoke culture, you know, because that's what I mean when I, when I've uh, jokingly said that uh, I've given up on being gay. I think I, I, I changed it in our d- Discord. I'm I, I'm now 100% queer free. Um, it's kind of like gluten-free only better and healthier. Um, but it is interesting. You build, you know, people at celebrities at that level are all about building their brand. And he's definitely built a brand around this. Is this, you know, uh, how much, how much of his fame is due to artistry now versus smoking, smoking, right? And giving up on Smoke, doesn't that give him a chance to make his brand back about the music again?
1: It does, although I don't know when the last time he made music is. I know he released a song with Eminem recently for Eminem's second greatest hits album. So maybe maybe that's part of it, right? Because Dr. Dre had a similar theme with his albums, right? He had The Chronic and Detox, and then I think he had, yeah, what was it called after that? The Chronic 2, or was it called Relapse? No, Eminem had the Relapse album. So they do work with these metaphors in, in the rap industry. Although I don't think, it, part of this for me, William, is what I'm saying about celebrity culture and social media is this doesn't really matter. I think Snoop Dogg has enough money and fame that even if he ran out of money, he could leverage his fame to, I mean, look, he's doing the Corona commercials right now with Andy Sandberg, right? He could make enough money that it doesn't matter if he's irreparably damaged his brand here. But this being his brand speaks to something that you were, you just said culture. And I think we're seeing a side effect of collectivist culture here. And this is something that it's probably very unpolitically correct to say, and it's a cancelable offense, but is it part of the issue with marijuana that it's become a part of quote unquote black hip hop culture or black inner city culture? And I say that because I, I link it to collectivism where I don't think that's something intrinsic to a race. And I don't think that's something intrinsic to a socioeconomic class. And in fact, I feel the same way about alcohol in the country music community where I like a lot of country music. But the second you start singing about like, oh, she left me. I had to get drunk like you lose me because to me, that's unhealthy behavior. Now again, I'm, I'm probably hypersensitive to this because I'm straight edge, but I see what goes on in the collectivized culture of country music with beer as I see with marijuana with rap or inner city or low income black culture, whatever you want to say. And I think that's part of why people are reacting to this. In the same way, as you said, you're gay, not queer, the way people would react if somebody in the the queer community said oh well i don't like i mean what kind of thing would this cause the same reaction william if they gave that up in that collectivized community
0: <laughs> oh man that's interesting to think about i think uh, you know there's certain like casual sex right Is probably that right like if you you're you'd be yeah. some sort of prude or uh, yeah yeah
1: you know. that's a good point but you get the point i'm saying about like this yeah. collectivized culture and this being an example of this yeah because it's more than your identity as an artist. It becomes your identity as a member of that collective.
0: Well, how many and isn't people... isn't that a problem? Yeah. How many people just assume that is just, you know, a requirement, right? Like, there's certain tropes in, in the genre, and I guess that's one big trope, you know?
1: Yeah. So, something to think about going forward. Any group that requires you to make certain decisions in order to be in that group is probably not a group you want to belong to. Now I say that, but people are going to say, well, like the decision to believe in Jesus, like that's a, that's a decision. And yeah, like the decision to have a job, right? That's not what I mean. You understand what I'm saying, William? Yes. When I say just make certain decisions.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're supposed to, you're supposed to act uh, without judgment is what you're going to get.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes more sense. Make certain decisions without judgment. They want you to give over their judgment. So if you're in this group, you have to give over your judgment on certain decisions. Yeah, great way of saying it. Well, we're talking about blowing smoke. Did you see, William, what NFL sideline reporter, I believe she works for Fox, Carissa Thompson, said this week?
0: I did. I I couldn't... I couldn't... Uh, I couldn't believe that people didn't realize this but it's making splashes anyways apparently it's all made up which uh i think that uh sideline reporters can be to- totally replaced by chat gpt justin if this is uh now that this is true we don't we, you know imagine that we've come full circle on this justin we used to have sideline reporters right and then they were very uh pretty women usually right And then we were told that they're actual reporters. They're not just there to be eye candy. Um, And and so therefore, we must take their journalism seriously. And now we've come full circle to I just made it all up.
1: Right. So let me read the quote. Let me read the quote. So she said the following. I've said this before. I haven't been fired to saying it, but I'll say it again. I would make up the report sometimes because A, the coach wouldn't come out at halftime or it was too late and I didn't want to screw up the report. So I was like, I'm just going to make this up. I appreciate, William, that she had an A but no B. Did you notice that? Yeah, yeah. To continue. Because first of all, no coach is going to get mad if I say, hey, we need to stop hurting ourselves. We need to be better on third down. Except, William, what if you were really good on third down. I think contextually she's saying someone who's bad on third down. We need to stop turning the ball over and do a better job of getting off the field. They're not going to correct me on that. So I'm like, it's fine. I'll just make up the report. So this is the chat GPT part. You're talking about William, where if you can create a formula, Oh, if they suck on third down, just say, we need to get better on third down. Or if you know what Belichick's going to say, just say what Belichick would say. We need to be get better in all three phases of the game. Right? All we need to limit the turnovers. All that kind of stuff. We need to work on field position. And then you would put that in and have them say it. But I, I think you've hit an essential point here. It's the sideline reporters are all part of the magic show in that it's supposed to A convince you that we're getting some sort of inside perspective where I never thought they made it up, William. I'll be completely Honest about that and Wait, perhaps. Did I'm you also naive.
0: believe that WWE was real?
1: Well, and that's what I was gonna say. You know, perhaps I'm naive, especially as a pro wrestling fan, but like to me it was like why why make it up? Right? But now I understand why I make it up because if you actually think about it, what a value can the coach actually say in that moment? If he really said what he was gonna make changes on, he'd give up his strategy for the second half. But at the same time, like he doesn't have enough time to say anything of worth. He has to get in and talk to his team, even if he's just going to give him a pep talk. So it makes sense that people would just make it up because it is just going to be the same boilerplate stuff all the time. But again, that's the magic show. That is your pretty assistant. That is distracting everyone from what's really going on.
0: Yeah, it's it. It. This isn't to diminish it as part of the, like you said, part of the show, part of the pageantry. But, right, um, pageantry
1: is the best word.
0: Yeah, but it, yeah, it seems like, uh, it seems overly cynical, right, to just be making it up, right? Like, find someone who will talk to you about something. If it's not the head coach. I don't know. Tell us what it looked like as they were going in the locker room. You know what I mean? Well that's what I was just
1: gonna say. If you're gonna be the sideline reporter, you get to be on the sideline and see what's going on. Walk around and be like, Oh, when I was around the team, this is what I noticed. Right? This person looked this way. This I mean, why did no one tell us like we saw it on camera, but why was no one like, Oh, this is what Mac Mac Jones looked like he was about to cry after he threw that last interception and then they took him out of the game like we had to think about what that means for his future for the team and the sport. Like why not say stuff like that? Why is it just, Oh, you have to talk to the head coach.
0: You know, my, my cynical brain, um, you know, they'd make all these storylines up before mainly to capture the female yes. audience. Right. And
1: well, not dude. anymore. Yeah, not anymore. That's. I mean, it used to that dude. That's a very an early two thousands, late nineties way of looking at it. I mean, most people are watching for the storylines now. How many people, when they're discussing sports, actually talk about what happened in the game? That's my number one thing. We talked about this last week with the Mac Jones stuff. That's my number one thing with the Mac Jones stuff. If you actually look at the games, he is not that bad it's the rest of the team that's worse around him and then he ends up making one or two really noticeable mistakes and everyone acts like he's the worst quarterback ever and especially when he looks like he's about to cry and then what's yeah. what's more interesting for people to talk about the story of how mac jones is broken and ruined and how belichick is an evil person or to talk about the x's and o's of what's going on so it's everyone yeah. now it's not just women anymore
0: yeah and i think that we've seen a, a steep decline. Um, and th- this is saying something considering we started with, uh, Madden, a steep decline in how the game is described even like, y- you know what I mean? Like, like how the plays are described. Like, I uh, think of like, think of, you know, even in the nineties and two thousands, we still had radio, uh, broadcasts of the football games. Right. And the, uh, commentators were more aligned with the radio commentators right they were telling you what plays what formations um what you know what what things were going on uh the actual parts of the game right and it's just that like it's just not there anymore and part of that is mass appeal and that's not necessarily a bad thing but like you said it's getting away from the the heroism and the it's getting it's it's more of like you say when we're doing our our analysis of uh, film and television culture, it's um getting away from the, it's getting more into the, uh what's that word you use for the for for the pageantry part right like it's just the emotion spectacle part and not, yeah it's getting more into the spectacle right and right it's all the,
1: spectacle no catharsis no catharsis exactly and, and what I mean by that is if you truly follow a team. And anyone who's ever played a sport can tell you this. If you're truly part of a team, part of the agony of defeat and the thrill of victory is having gone on that journey along the way of the struggle of every practice in every game. And you're missing out on that if you're only looking at it at the big moments and you're only looking at it and the... Quote unquote human storylines. And I say human because that's all the emotional storylines. Yeah. Right. Part of why Mac Jones was crying or looked like he was about to cry is because how much work has that kid put in over the past two and a half years? And he's got to be beyond frustrated. Yeah. But nobody looks at it that way. Yeah. They just say, oh, he's broken. Well, what about the whole experience? And what about the pressure Robert Kraft put on the team when he was like, oh, we have to win this game in Germany? And Mm -hmm. then he throws that interception. How must he feel? And I'm not saying it's okay. Like, What made Tom Brady Tom Brady was he was able to cope with all that. And Mac Jones has to figure out some way to cope with all that. I mean, Tom Brady openly admitted when he was at Michigan and on seventh place on the depth chart, he went to therapy. So maybe Mac Jones needs that too, or at -hmm. least have a conversation with Tom Brady about it. Um, So I'm not defending any of that, but... That conversation is much more interesting than, oh, he's broken and Belichick is evil for screwing him up. And that's what you're talking about with spectacle versus catharsis. Everything is all spectacle now. We've talked about it before, where in reality shows, people just want, oh, what's the next fight? They don't want to actually see people have the, the difficult conversations. That's not what's interesting to people. What's the next fight? Who gets eliminated next?
0: And I don't want people who are just analytical to think that those folks can't also fall victim to this spectacle um dichotomy. I think a lot of um a lot of the like um fantasy football stuff ends up just being about s- spectacle right you know you you put a ton of uh, a ton of energy into just watching the highlights and just seeing how your your individual player is doing right. And I think that's oh, yeah, another dude. example of spectacle over team, right? Cause this is a team sport, right? Like this isn't like fa- fantasy golf would make a lot more sense in this uh, dichotomy, right? Like there's no well, dichotomy. Yeah. It, so it's less clear there. Cause it's an individual thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're competing against other people, but, but it's always that one person, you know, and you're really competing against nature in that sense. But here you're competing against another team.
1: Yeah. And I can give you a great example of that. So I'm a huge Jason Tatum fan. So I'm getting more into the Celtics now, especially as the Patriots suck right now. So it's more fun to watch the Celtics. So I signed up for NBA team pass. It's basically 14 bucks a month that I can watch every Celtics game, which, first of all, that's much more reasonably priced than NFL Sunday ticket yeah. or whatever yeah. they call it nowadays. <laughs> like Where you have to pay for everything, yeah. Right. Well, and not only that, it's like 300 bucks a month. You know what I mean? On top of, then you have to subscribe to like YouTube TV for 70 bucks a month. So it's really 400 bucks a month. Whereas this, all I had to do is go on the app. And if I have the app on Roku or my phone, I can watch for $14 a month. Very reasonable. Look at that. You can get my money if you price things reasonably. The point is, though, I turned on notifications on the NBA app. Dude, they will on a game night, which is every night. Once games hit, they start bombarding me with notifications about all the highlights from all the games. Like, this guy dunked this. Oh, this team had a good play. Oh, this guy just hit this many points. And I'm like, this is way too much to take in. And I didn't even turn on all the notifications. I turned on, like, major events and Celtics major events. I didn't even turn on, like, every update. (laughs) And this is what they're giving me. It's all what you're saying. Stats focused, individual moments focused. It's not about the sport. You know what I mean? Like I'm following the Celtics overall because part of it is I can't look at one game. I have to follow an entire season. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, yeah. I, I, I early on, you know, I used to be a, a huge Red Wings fan. When I moved to the West Coast because of the time of the games, I just stopped following the Red Wings at all. You know what I mean? Like, I just couldn't, because I couldn't see the season, right? Because all the games yeah. were, like, at two or three, right? I don't know I was right. at work. I just stopped, I I couldn't do it anymore.
1: Right, because it's different with baseball, hockey, and basketball with the number of games. Yeah, yeah. But really, what all this contributes to, William, is a distrust in the media. And then people wonder where the distrust in the media is coming from when everything's just spectacle. Which leads perfectly into a Vox story that you shared, which hits on one of our favorite topics. Why are so few people getting the latest COVID-19 vaccine? That's what they're asking. We've got to follow the science. We're going to follow the science and find out why. Well, it essentially what they're saying is people aren't following the science. The first thing, (laughs) William, that blew my mind, right? Did you see at the beginning that they claim more than 80% of all Americans and more than 90% of adults received at least one dose of the vaccines. Wow. Where do they get this number from? I don't know. Because, is it a claim
0: that they got it or actually got it? I don't know. Because is this like, are you going to vote for Trump in the first Trump election, right? Where everyone said no and then went out and voted yes?
1: Well, right, because... People we've learned, the, what the point you're making is, people will answer on, they will lie to answer uncomfortable questions so the other person doesn't bother them, right? That's what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, because, I mean, I've if I haven't said it before in the show, I'm sure people have inferred that I'm not vaccinated for COVID. Uh, does Am I really in the 20% of the population? Like, that, that blows my mind, dude. Like, I, I can't believe that. I, it, that doesn't seem I mean <laughs> how many people do you I feel like a lot of people I know aren't vaccinated for covid.
0: Yeah. Well, in uh in the restaurant uh, industry, uh it was basically forced upon us uh the first one. But uh outside, yes, outside of that uh circle for me, yeah.
1: Well, and that's really what I wanted to get into. I don't know here, right?
0: anyone. I don't know anyone in my f- let me know uh, out anybody in particular. And if I think back where I grew up in Michigan, I think it is probably the other direction.
1: Right. That's what of, I'm saying of people I grew up with. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's, that's the point I'm getting at here. So when you go out later in this article, right, there are a number of different things they're looking at is there, there's a whole segment of why section of why, why Americans aren't getting their COVID-19 shots. You know, one person says, And he's the director of the Vaccine Education Center at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. First of all, I'm going to refer to what Adam Carolla says. And I'm going to paraphrase here. Why do we need a Vaccine Education Center at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia? I'm going to assume it's not just for COVID. Because why are children getting vaccinated for COVID? And it's for vaccines in general. Uh, He says, people aren't scared of this virus anymore. And then um, somebody else says... Uh, They say political polarization, right? They say Republicans don't want to get vaccinated. And then somebody else says uh, this woman who's a senior fellow at KFF and editor at large for public health at KFF Health News says it's become part of somebody's identity that they're not somebody who gets COVID shots in particular. That may spill over to vaccines, but it starts with COVID. Here's the deal, William, when I see all of this. I think the problem here, as always, is people do not want to accept that when you give people autonomy, they don't make the choices you want them to make. And what I mean by that is if it was indeed 80 percent, it's because 80 percent of people were forced to get it. They were able able either literally forced to get it because of laws such as you're talking about in the restaurant industry or because, as people are saying, with familiarity with the virus now. People were forced into getting it by being scared to death or scared they were yeah. going to die. The idea, if I don't get this, I'm going to die when really the virus was never as bad as it, they said it was from the beginning. And very clear, if you looked at it, it was killing people who were, who were obese, who had pre existing conditions, who were of a certain age. And in which case, this is where the autonomy part comes in. As yeah. I've said with every vaccine, with every medicine your doctor gives you, with every treatment your doctor gives you, William, did you know that if a doctor suggests a surgery to you, you don't have to do it? Oh, yeah. Boy, do I know that. Oh, I was being sarcastic, <laughs> but I, I thought my sarcasm would, would would be evident there. But yeah, you don't mm-hmm. have to do what a doctor says. You don't have to do what anyone says. You don't have to do what your boss says. You can and quit your job. And we know this job. is true because didn't
0: doctors tell people that they were fat and they needed to uh, exercise and eat right? And now we're telling doctors they have to stop saying that. So, right. well, th- so doctors that, that's are supposed shaming. to say, go get your COVID vaccine, but they aren't supposed to say diet and exercise.
1: Uh, yes. So there's a whole hypocrisy there with this whole culture, but that's what this culture is trying to do. It's trying to take away autonomy and they're they're basically basically this is a whole article, William, where they're like, why are people expressing their autonomy, right? Create a vaccine for everyone. Never, whatever you never want.
0: questioning, never questioning that they're not making a sound argument, right? Like there like is there's no, layers it's there, not right? right? There's an argument yeah, exactly, and then there's not a sound argument. Yeah, that, that's why it goes backwards, right? So they're, they're not a sound way argument the implies there's
1: thing. an argument. There's not an argument. Yeah. They're stopping their feet going. Why won't you do what I want? That's all yeah. they're doing. Dude, look, create a vaccine for whatever you want. Get a vaccine for whatever you want, but don't require other people to get what you want them to get. They thought in COVID, and I said this in COVID and I haven't said it in a while, but they thought they finally had their ace in the hole. Yeah. And this goes all the way back to, uh, what, what is it? Not internalized oppression. Uh, unconscious bias. Right, No, implicit bias. Remember when Hillary Clinton said that phrase? Implicit bias. It goes all the way back to they took the concept of externalities from economics and they tried to make it a social concept. You know, when you in economics have an externality, you unintentionally affect the market, and that's really what governs the market, and that's really why the free market works best. Because it's impossible for any human being to figure out all the... Possible externalities because of our limited knowledge and, and limited power, right? Where God could figure all of those things out if God were to exist. But de- the definition of God, they thought they could create that socially. Oh, well, we can't control everything we do physically, everything our body expels, and those things our body expels can kill other people. Therefore, we're morally responsible for killing Other people. And they thought with covid, because it was such a minimum. Infection rate and death rate. And I say that as opposed to the black death. And what I mean by that is, if you have the black death and you know, if you go outside, you're going to infect and kill someone else. You're probably morally responsible at that point. But they wanted to make it the line was there was no line anything your body expels and harms another person in any way you are morally responsible for. Because remember, they had us even wearing masks. We're not talking about just getting vaccinated. We're talking about wearing masks. So anything, anything, we basically, if we were going to live based on what they were saying, had to walk around in bubbles. And they thought they had that trump card to finally control us completely. But luckily, most people still realized that, that's not feasible. That's not feasible. And now, every week, we see these articles where they're raging and saying, why won't you do what we want? Because, as you said, they can't present a sound argument. And I say it's even further. They can't present an argument at all. They have nothing to say besides, Well, they are
0: operating in the realm, in the philosophical realm of argument because they deny autonomy
1: at all. Right? Right. So there's no need so for argumentation. Though. There's
0: no need for argument. Yeah. It's just comply or not, not, not comply. You're either you're either good and you comply or you're evil and you don't comply. The good is not your sound judgment. The good is
1: your compliance. Right. Well, that actually, William, that actually goes perfectly into the last thing I wanted to talk about. And this is something I actually heard about at school from a student. And my mind was kind of blown by this. And then I found an article about it. So Newsweek has an article that says, are McDonald's Starbucks boycotts working? Now, McDonald's and Starbucks aren't boycotting something. People are boycotting them. Now, the question you may have, William, is why are they boycotting them? Well, apparently they are being boycotted for their support for the state of Israel. Now, William, let me explain to you why this blows my mind. McDonald's and Starbucks, aren't those global corporations? No, nothing.
0: Oops, sorry, I had a, sorry, I had a, I'm not
1: pulling up the article. Um, oh. So they are corporations, yes. They're global corporations, though, correct? Yeah, yes. So McDonald's especially, they're so worried about getting profits in every company, every country that, for instance, they have vegetarian restaurants in India yes? And their restaurants are different, their menus are different in every country? Yeah, it's localized. Right. It's localized. And then, presumably And McDonald's is famous for that, right? Right. For for that kind of specialization in the markets that they enter. Right. And presumably those branches donate to causes within the area, and the people who work for those branches donate to causes within the area, yes? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Why would anyone ever boycott McDonald's for being McDonald's? (laughs) Well, like they literally No, what the point I'm making is, does McDonald's actually have any sort of political belief or are they purely pragmatic in whatever country they're in? They'll adapt to that country to make money from that country.
0: Yeah, I mean, that it's it's called connecting with your customers, right? There is no global customer. There's just a lot of local customers.
1: Yes, and this goes back to what we are talking about with everything being local.
0: Collective. Uh, yeah, collectivism. Yeah.
1: No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying everything has to move back towards local. Remember, oh, that's yeah, my argument yeah. over and over again. Yep. Yeah, yep. decentralization. But that's the point. This is collective, uh, collective centralized protest. Protesting something that, how is it ever going to work? Because you're asking McDonald's to stop being McDonald's.
0: Yeah. The thing, that, the thing that makes them valuable and and have a market to begin with. Exactly.
1: Right. I mean, so, okay, They. what do you want them to do? Pull out of Israel? Okay, so then do they have to pull out of Israel because Israelis and Jewish people don't want them? Or so do they have to pull out of the Middle East completely because Israelis and Jewish people don't want them in any Muslim countries? And then how far do we go with that? And why... Why you is no to, ad- you
0: have to do McDonald's needs to do land acknowledgments in Canada
1: before they can give you your meal. It, I, so here's the thing, Walker joke, William. I don't know if you're serious <laughs> or not. That, I would 100% believe that. <laughs> I would 100% believe in the wall, in, on the wall in Canada is written land acknowledgments in a uh, certain Canadian listeners, go do
0: research, survey your local McDonald's and tell me if there are land acknowledgments.
1: Well it's it's not a it's a Roy Rogers in Canada. It's not McDonald's. It's a Roy Rogers, isn't it? <laughs> I guess so. Roy Rogers is pretty good if you ever had one of their burgers. At least for what I remember as a kid. But yeah. like is no one complaining, William? Like there's got to be McDonald's in Ukraine and Russia, correct? Not in Russia anymore. Remember they pulled out of Russia. Oh, when they did they pull out of Russia?
0: Russia? Uh I I don't remember exactly what the trigger was, but it was something to do with the sanctions. Yeah, but when? They had to liquidate, yeah, they had to liquidate all the McDonald's.
1: Yeah I, was, yeah, I wasn't asking why, I was asking when. You don't remember? I don't remember when. But I'll basically it, it, it became unprofitable to be there is all it was. It wasn't a yeah, cultural objection. Yeah, they couldn't move objection. money in or out. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, they couldn't move money in or out anymore.
1: Right, so it was. it wasn't a cultural objection, it was a... It was a profit objection. Well, it was a margin objection, and okay, so there they're on the good side of things, right? They're on the Ukrainian side, so they're okay. We don't have to boycott them for that.
0: Yeah, it's twenty twenty two when the when the after fourteen years, because that I think they were well less than fourteen years, nineteen
1: ninety to twenty twenty two. I don't know, man. I just I again. I think boycotts are more of a local thing. And I know you want to bring up the concept of like boycotts never working. I don't think boycotts work now because it's, it's, this is global. They're Twitter boycotts. You know what I mean? I mean, that was even my thing during the Snyder cut where people are like, we need to boycott WB to get the Snyder cut made. That's never going to work. Yeah. Yeah. And what I mean by boycotts never
0: working is what we mean today by boycotts never work. And it's hitting your point exactly on the head twitter boycotts don't work what works like let's think like back in the uh back in the day right the civil rights movement and mlk and that that whole thing there were boycotts there they boycotted restaurants that were segregated and they boycotted buses that were segregated people just walked to work because that affected the local people
1: exactly if you boycott your local. local mcdonald's because the manager's a dick well, then the manager is going to lose business and his bottom line is going to be hurt and his life's going to be hurt. But if you just boycott the corporation and it's just like, oh, there are 10 people in Boise boycotting and five people in Lubbock, like that's not going to add up to affect the the corporation overall. Now, if you can get Palestinians in Israel to boycott McDonald's, which I would assume they're already doing because they're probably... that that's the
0: that's a a topic for another show but yeah there are there are but very there are muslims in israel and they are much like muslims in the neighboring countries of egypt and jordan they don't like the palestinians that much
1: yeah okay you get the point i was making though yes yes but that actually what you're saying adds to my point people if they really had a problem with what was going on with mcdonald's in israel would be boycotting mcdonald's in israel How many McDonald's are there in in Gaza? Can we even look that up? (laughs) I don't think there are any. (laughs) How many? I'm Googling it right now because I want to know. How many McDonald's are there in the world? Are there in Gaza? Let's see what comes up. McDonald's McDonald's does not have any outlets in Gaza or the occupied West Bank. Well,
0: that means they must not be free. Because as soon as Russia had uh had any semblance of freedom a McDonald's appeared.
1: I don't know, it just why do the same people rage over and over again like it's gonna do something? And then why do we report on them? I think the answer to the first question is what you see say, cluster B narcissism, right? The idea yeah. that they feel like they're doing something and if it's posted online, it's making a difference. Oh, I'm going to tell everyone I'm boycotting McDonald's because of the way they support uh, Israel, the way they're Zionist. That makes them feel, you know, that makes me feel good that I'm posting this. But then why are we reporting on this? Like, why is Newsweek... Yeah. Is it just because it gets clicks? Well,
0: I, I think there's another contributing factor. You know, we often talk about pseudo self-esteem. self ex, self, ex, self esteem. I yeah. think this is pseudo social capital. Yeah. And, you know, like people don't have local things that they're in, investing in to build communities. And I don't mean local in the sense of like it has to be nearby, right? Like there's tons of um small online communities that are I would consider local in this way, right? Decentralized in this way. But there they they feel it's like a replacement they think they're building up social capital right but like like building up like again because it's pseudo the things i say here are not what they're actually achieving they think it's building trust and community like true values right they think they're building true values by doing this social signaling and and taking a stand and arguing with random people on the internet but the the problem is they aren't real communities right they 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 aren't they're, they're pseudo communities and all it is ends up being is just uh, just like self uh, pseudo self esteem it's it's all empty in the end
1: yeah empty in the end is a good place to end it at and, and a good way to put a button on it so now let's move forward let's talk about some art in the hopeful romantic with JML. <laughs> As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. Or if you want to listen in, right? Midsider Lucid was listening in. He was talking about how what he misses as a uh, former D1 athlete is the daily grind and of the offseason and practice, not the games. Uh, and he also talked about spectacle on Riddlein being the NFL Red Zone channel, which I agree with completely. William, if you want to talk about a channel that exists because of fantasy football. It's completely yeah. the red zone channel. <laughs> just show me who's close exactly. to scoring. Right. And that's the equivalent of sort of what I was talking about with stats in the NBA. It's just in the NBA. How often does scoring happen much more than in the NFL? So you can contribute to the live show as well. Just go to midside.com, midside.com dot slash podcast, click on any episode link. And in that page, you will find the join code from the discord. We'd love to hear from you. During the week. All right, William, a couple things I want to talk about very quickly here for the reviews. First thing is, I'm sure people are wondering what I think about the Scott Pilgrim anime, Scott Pilgrim Takes Off. Uh, I have watched all eight episodes of it, uh, and all I'm going to say is that I enjoyed it. Um, Edgar Wright talked about how it does things differently. And it does indeed. I just don't want to say more. Because I don't want to go into spoilers. I do however William want to ask you a question. Because. Alright. Kids. Love anime nowadays. And when I watched this. I had the same problem I always had. With anime. And what I mean by that is. The style of it. Specifically. Two things. One. One. I understand that when we bring Japanese or foreign language films over here or shows, we have to dub them over with English voices so it's not going to match the lips. However, this show was produced in English. Why do we take that? Why do we Americans take that as part of the style of anime? Why does our anime have to have... The lips not match the English voices, even if it was produced in English. Can you explain that to me? I think
0: I think it's a trope is the only positive thing to say, uh, if you can even call that positive. But I agree with you. It's something I don't like about um, some uh, anime. It's a It's an artistic choice that doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah, I agree it's a trope. I don't disagree at all that it's a trope. However, I think it's a harmful trope. And likewise... Yeah. There's something with the animation that has always bothered me. And to me, it makes it feel like the animation is lazy. And I'll probably get canceled for saying that. But what I mean is, they don't seem to animate as many frames. So the actions jump. And what I mean that by that, when someone walks, it's not a smooth walk. It's like they're jumping steps. So whenever any movement happens in an anime, it's very, very choppy. And I think it's because they're not animating as many frames as, say, a Disney movie. Do you see what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. And I think that's another trope that comes from the comic book origins.
1: So anime started from comic books.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. So I don't know the history of anime. So you're telling me in Japan, anime started where they just tried to animate comic books. From manga, yep. From manga, interesting. Yep. Okay,
0: yeah. So, uh, so part of that, I think it can be used effectively stylistically, okay. But its overuse is also a trope.
1: Okay, but that at least explains why Scott Pilgrim tried to do that because they're trying to, they're trying to call back to that possibly. Yeah, so I haven't seen it yet. Feel. So, I, but
0: I think I said when we when we reviewed it, I was going to wait for your reaction before I invested. I
1: in. think it's worth watching. I think if you're a Scott Pilgrim fan, it's worth watching because it, it keeps a lot of the, the wittiness and the cultural that you're used to, where it's very pop punk adjacent. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, the song, the United States of whatever, like that comedy song. Mm -hmm. Well, that song started playing in one of the episodes. One of the episodes is called whatever that song started playing and I couldn't remember, like I heard, heard the song, right? And I was like, Oh, I know this song. And then I was like, but isn't this like the dead Kennedys? And then I looked it up and I was like, Oh, it's not the dead Kennedys. But then a dead Kennedys song played later in the episode. That's not a coincidence. That's we are stylistically aligned with the Scott Pilgrim sort of ethos. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. And the show retains that so I, I think it's worth watching it's just hard to have a conversation about it because I don't want to spoil anything alright so watch it in the queue and we'll talk about, about the it holiday. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it after you watch it and that gives people enough time to watch it what I am okay with spoiling is The Hunger Games The Ballad of Snakes and Songbirds this is the prequel Or why does it always have to be snakes Because snakes are a good metaphor for something that you think you can trust, and then it strikes at the last minute and turns on you. (laughs) But I said it backwards. It's songbirds and snakes, so I apologize. Okay, I think you typed it backwards. I did type it backwards, which made me say it backwards. (laughs) because I'm looking at what I typed and then I'm looking at my my letterboxd app right now and it says songbirds and snakes and this says snakes and songbirds but look, it should be snakes and songbirds because this is the origin story uh, story of Cornelius Snow the main villain from the Hunger Games trilogy now first of all, I want to say, William, I was confused because do you remember the character Aldous Snow? It vaguely rings a bell. You know where that character is from? No. Forgetting Sarah Marshall and get him to the Greek. So I didn't realize throughout the entire movie, I thought this was like the grandfather or father of the villain because he was Cornelius Snow. I thought Aldous Snow was the main villain, but I was getting confused because of the other Snow character. Then when Uh, I realized at the end that this was the origin story for the villain, I was like, oh, that makes sense. Now, I also think it's interesting that we do better with villain origin stories than anything else, and I'll get into that in a minute, but let me read my two-sentence review, and I did two sentences here because it's one thought, but it's better written as two sentences, so allow me the leeway this week. Buoyed by strong performances from its two leads, the ballads of... The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is the best entry in the Hunger Games franchise. Too bad the production team was so worried about the future of the franchise that they were unable to pull the trigger on the ending. So let me talk about the two things I said in there. If you are looking for a story that captures the idea of what a Hunger Games story should be, this is it. This shows how the game affects people inside and outside of the arena Because it starts before, it's in three parts. It has before the game and after the game. And then it has during the game. And during the game, because what they're doing here is this is a prequel. So this is the 10th Hunger Games. And they show how the mentors began. So this is the first year there was ever mentors for people in the games. And because this whole movie is from the perspective of one of the mentors, we're able to see... More of the strategy and conversation that goes on in the arena. Whereas before, the big problem with the first couple Hunger Games movies is they're very, very naturalistic. So even though this director is the same director, he does it in a more romantic way because we understand the significance thematically of all the events that are occurring because there are co- characters having conversations outside of the games. And the things that are happening in the arena are referring back to conversations the mentor had with his tribute earlier in the first part of the movie so this succeeds in a way that the first four or first four movies didn't right one of my biggest concerns with the first four movies was how naturalistic the games were Whereas the books work because you see what's going on in Katniss's head. You see her thoughts and say, Hey, why is she making these decisions where the decisions and their implications are much more obvious. I don't want to say concrete, but I want to say obvious or emphasize an important way. Does that make sense, William? Yeah, Yeah. So it's enjoyable for that because you see the journey of these two characters, You see the journey of Lucy Gray, who, by the way, Rachel Zegler, she's phenomenal. I know everyone's down on the new Snow White, but I think she was having seen this movie. I think she was a great choice to play Snow White. I think her voice is tremendous, her singing voice. So hopefully she does well in that role, despite the other problems people have with it. Uh, I don't know who the guy, the name of the guy who played Cornelius but he's her mentor Cornelius snow and he's tremendous and they have a whole romance throughout the movie. So that is all the good about this movie. It's great. I enjoyed it. It's two hours and 45 minutes and it didn't feel that long. It was an enjoyable movie. The problem is the following. Now I want to see if you remember William. Do you remember the problem I had with the Han Solo movie? Well, I had two problems, but do you remember either of them?
0: No, I don't remember.
1: Well, the first was it was three movies in one, right? They should yeah. have had this—you know him going and enlisting and then him doing the Kessel Run and then him with the whole thing. Well,
0: and that's because it was supposed to be a television series on Disney+, Plus, not a movie.
1: Okay. Well, that's why. So there you go. Because... All of, there should have been the three different movies, right? So that's my first problem. But my second problem was the whole issue with the love interest. And I have the same problem here. You need to hit the spoiler button. There's Walkers in the barn and Lori's pregnant. Okay, here we go. In the Han Solo movie, he finds out his girlfriend, Kira, is actually evil the whole time. Do you remember that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And you don't remember what I said he should have done?
0: No, I don't remember.
1: <laughs> he should have killed her. He should have okay. killed her. Because that would explain why Han Solo is the way he is in the Star Wars trilogy. Yeah, yeah why it, he... would give, it would give him, a cho- yeah.
0: give him agency over his own character that he made something... In his character, yeah.
1: Right. He It was the agency that, that affected him later on where he doesn't want to be close to anyone and he keeps everyone away, even though he actually does care and cares deeply. That's why. He's jaded because he had to make that choice because of the choice she made. But they wanted to keep her around. Why? For potential future movies. Well, it's the same thing here. I guess it's in the book, too. But Cornelius and Lucy Gray... Fall in love, and there's this whole thing about uh, things go wrong, and she's the only one who knows what he did wrong, and if she, if the Capitol found out, he would be killed for it. So what happens? They're out in the woods in District Twelve, and there's a confrontation, and he shoots at her, and it seems like she falls down, but her body is never found, and they people just say she disappeared. And William, what's the rule in movies? If you don't see the body, they're not dead, correct? They're not dead, yeah. They should have had the guts to kill her, because how much more evil would it have made the villain if he killed the woman he loved? Yeah. Because here's the other thing that makes this movie work really well, and it speaks to our culture. Several times throughout the movie, the game maker asks, Cornelius, what are the Hunger Games for? And at the end of the movie, he says... The Hunger Games are to remind everyone that life is the Hunger Games. And you always have to be the victor. What is that, William? Is that not interpersonal hostility?
0: 100%.
1: Is that not the war of every man against every man? We understand yeah. evil in this culture. Maybe it's because many people are evil, but that's what make this movie makes this movie works. It shows a man becoming evil. It shows a man adapting to this interpersonal hostility and internalizing it and living based on it. The problem is, and the only problem I have with this movie, is it would have romanticized it more. It would have made the point better if he actually killed the woman he loved. If we had seen him kill her and then go look at the body and maybe have a moment of feeling bad, but then be remorseless because he realized he needed to do that to protect himself. How much more powerful would that have been, William?
0: It's definitely a better emotional hit. It's funny that, uh, like you said, it sounds like it's in the book, but it sounds like a bad choice by the author, not just the filmmaker.
1: Oh, correct. Correct. And, I mean, that was the problem people had with the original Hunger Games trilogy is the bad choices made at the end by the author. So, look, ultimately, overall, this is still a very, very good movie. I would give this four out of five stars. Hunger Games, The Ballad of Snakes and Songbirds... I would give a Bromantic rating. And you said it backwards again. Did I? It's because I wrote yes. it backwards and I still looked at the... <laughs> <laughs> but it makes more sense because it's about the it bad does. guy, doesn't it? It does. It does. It's... <laughs> I don't know, man. I didn't, I didn't write the title. All right. So, this is Thanksgiving week, which I made that mistake earlier in the episode. I didn't say it was Thanksgiving week. I thought it was the week after. I don't know why I thought that. Whatever. You'll be listening to this Thanksgiving week, which means you need to prepare for your Christmas movie viewing over the next month and a half. So this week's trailer takedown is all Christmas movies. I've been saving these up. I got them posted in the Discord, which I usually do the Saturday before we record. Let's take a look at them. Trailer takedown. First trailer. Dashing Through the Snow is a Disney Plus holiday movie, Christmas movie, starring Ludacris and Little Ray Howery. Ludacris doesn't like Christmas, but he's with his young daughter who does. And turns out, for some reason, Santa Claus gets stuck in their ch- chimney, played by Little Ray Howery. I don't really know what else happens in this movie besides the fact that they're trying to help Santa Claus. It, the, the plot's not very clear. You just know the following is going to happen. Ludicrous is going to earn the trust of his his wife back and start to love Christmas because for some reason he's gonna help little Ray Howie Santa Claus uh, there is a line in this that I can't tell if it lost me or made me okay with this where ludicrous calls something ludicrous and I don't know if I like that or love that but overall this look, Say what you will about Hallmark movies, there's more charm to it than this. There's more inventiveness to the plot. Like, hey, we go to SantaCon, and there's a Santa I ran into that I really connected with, and I have to spend the night trying to find him. Like, that at least has some sort of, like, appeal to it. Like, oh, man, they're at SantaCon, and they gotta find the one Santa. This, I, I don't know what the appeal is besides the cast. Tackle. Tackle this I've
0: I, I when I saw this preview I was like is this just the Santa Claus but for black people
1: I had that thought too
0: tackle tackle
1: second trailer best Christmas ever stars Heather Graham and Brandy as two. Former friends who are forced to spend Christmas together. That part's really unclear. So the part that's clear is Heather Graham is jealous. I think you're, I think you mean contrived. Contri Oh, they're contrived to spend Christmas together. Yeah. 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 That, and that's the part that ruins this trailer, right? Heather Graham is jealous of Brandy and somehow spends Christmas together and you know, they're going to become best friends again and so on and so forth. And it's going to be a warm, heartwarming Christmas tale. This does seem more similar to a Hallmark movie. And it does have a great cast. But because of that contrivance, William... Tackle. Tackle?
0: I thought for sure this one would be a hug for you. Because it had all the trappings of the Hallmark movie. But much like you, I was completely knocked out I of I don't the actually like movie. Hallmark yeah, Our movies. son put the wrong address in... Uh, in the uh, in the GPS, therefore we're going to spend our entire Christmas with a, friend, a college friend I hadn't hung out with. Oh, in years? is that what
1: happened? The no. sun put it into the GPS. Yeah, I didn't get yeah. that from the trailer. Good eyes, good looks. Tackle, tackle. Third trailer. Genie stars Melissa McCarthy as a genie who gives unlimited wishes, and it's the Christmas season for some reason. Uh, again, William, what is the conflict in this movie? I don't understand. I do not understand at all what is going on in this movie besides a black guy brings Melissa McCarthy McCarthy out of whatever place she's hiding and they're going to become friends by the end. It's like Aladdin, but you took all this stuff out besides the friendship between Genie and Aladdin where he frees Genie eventually. And it's Melissa McCarthy and it's on Peacock. No, Tackle. Tackle.
0: I just can't stand Melissa McCarthy. I like I don't I can't even look at her anymore. It's 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 the fault of all the bad movies she's been in. If this had been anyone else, maybe, maybe, but like you said, there's no conflict. Uh it's it's sort of like a country music song. So no, thank you. Tackle. Tackle. Final trailer.
1: Merry Little Batman is a prime video. So did you see that? We got one from each major streaming service here. Prime video move animated movie about Batman's son, Damian Wayne, trying to stop the Joker being the Grinch on Christmas. And what I mean by that is Batman gets called by the Justice League and goes away. And Damian Wayne, who's like, how old is he? Is this like boss baby territory, William?
0: Uh, he's definitely... Uh animated to be a lot smaller than you would expect
1: or would hope right to make this more interesting like this would probably be better if he was like 12 or something like 12 year old damian wayne might make this movie interesting anyway when he leaves even though gotham is completely free of crime the joker decides to steal christmas tell me where you've heard this before william is that not the plot of the grinch (laughs) It is. So while he's trying to steal Christmas Damian Wayne With you know his dad tells him He doesn't want to be Batman but Damian Wayne Finds a costume his dad left for him And then he tries to stop Joker And then presumably Because trailers spoil everything Batman comes in and helps him stop the Joker This is Very eh. Like I don't care I I saw some of the comments On YouTube that people were mad it was not a serious Tone like, why does Batman always have to be serious, right? This is a kid's movie, but it's just... Why so serious? Yeah, ironically, yes. I didn't mean it that way, but yes. I, I just... This just seems like a waste of time. I don't know, this doesn't seem interesting to me at all. Tackle.
0: Tackle. You know I love Batman, but this animation is just yeah, terrible. I didn't even terrible. talk about that. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. No, thank you. Ugh, tackle. Uh-oh, I think we've triggered
1: something. We did. Do we have a sound effect for it or anything?
0: No, no, oh. I, I don't. I need to get one. It's been so long since we've triggered one for both of us, too.
1: Well, I'll go like first a... because you already spoiled mine because you know what I'm going to say yeah. now. All right? If I was forced uh-huh. to watch one of these, I will at least watch the one that's most like a Hallmark Christmas movie. Now, I want to be clear. I don't like Hallmark Christmas movies. My wife Allegedly. likes Hallmark Christmas the, the, the movies. Doth protest too much. Doth protest too much. Oh. Just because we're studying Hamlet in <laughs> class right now doesn't mean that I'm quoting. No, <laughs> I can quote. Okay. okay, so I will say that. I like making fun of Hallmark movies. Does that make sense? There we go. Yes. Okay. Yes. So that's why I like good,
0: good, uh, suspense movies. Like that's not necessarily horror suspense, but just suspense, all the jump scare ones. I love going to the theater and watching those with my, my friends back in Baltimore who would jump and be scared and stuff. Whereas I like see them coming a mile away and I just laugh. Like or, I'm the one laughing in the movie theater. Right.
1: <laughs> well, I'm that way with Hallmark movies where like by the end of the movie, my wife's in tears. I'm like, are you really crying over this? Like I, I, told you this was exactly what was going to happen. Of course, dude, in the Hunger Games, she looks at me at one point and she's she's like, Is somebody going to die? I was like, First of all, it's the Hunger Games. <laughs> no. They're all no. going to die. There's definitely
0: no deaths. It's just like Game of Thrones. Nobody died. But it,
1: no, it was post to the, it was after the games, right? So she was asking me after that. And at that point, I had already realized Cornelius was going to kill Lucy Gray. And I just didn't say anything to her because. I didn't want to spoil it for her, but like it was very obvious. You know what I mean? But he should have killed her as yeah. we've already discussed. I,
0: do you just turn to her and say there's
1: walkers in the barn and they <laughs> pregnant whenever uh, she asks a question like that? Uh, usually she doesn't want me to say because so, I used to actually spoil stuff for her. I'd lean over and be like, <laughs> that guy's the villain. And she'd be like, "Why do you do that to oh, me? No, but so I stopped He's Tyler Durden. <laughs> I, I I stopped doing that, and uh now she asks, "But what do you do at that point now with Hallmark movies, yeah. I don't even have to because it's so obvious what's going on, but she's still like she still gets emotional about it, and I enjoy laughing at that, and I enjoy laughing at how predictable the movies are, and you know here's the other thing about them they're very um Effable and I know you can't really use that. Or affable, you can't really use that for movies. Affable is a little different. Yeah, that's different. Although Heather Graham and Brandy, you could say that for (laughs) both of them. (laughs) Both of them, (laughs) both of them could be described as affable, but um, they're very affable. And what I mean like that is, or, or innocuous is a better word, like, inoffensive. There, there's nothing that you can get mad about in them. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you watch them and like, they're annoying because they're so stupid and trite. It's like, Oh, here's two people who hate each other through Christmas. They're going to learn to love each other. And it's the same thing every fucking time. Right. But can you really get mad at a movie? That's like, yay, Christmas, these people are going to fall in love. You get what I'm saying? So even as I'm yeah. making fun of it, it's still like, as at least I'm not like it's benevolent, right? It's benevolent. Yeah. I'm not watching like a, um, an Aronofsky movie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, for that reason, I have to pick best Christmas ever. Will it be the best Christmas ever? No, but it'll be, uh, to steal a word from the kids, the mid Christmas ever.
0: <laughs> well, for me, it's, it's a, this one's tough cause it's a Sophie's choice. I would pick Batman, but I'm so turned off by the animation. I don't think I could watch it. Um, or I don't think I'd get to the end of it. Um, then I think if you combined, uh, uh, Best Christmas Ever and Dashing Through the Snow, you would just get the Santa Claus, like, literally. Or, sorry, Genie. Sorry, Genie and Dashing Through the Snow. Because the the setup for Genie is exactly the Santa Claus, right? The bit set up for the Santa Claus. And then Dashing Through the Snow is the plot. So, uh, between those two, I think I'd rather see Dashing Through the Snow, just because I think the cast is better. So, I think it's Dashing Through the Snow.
1: All right, William. That brings us to the end of this episode. What did we learn this trip?
0: That apparently I don't like Christmas because I couldn't decide on which Christmas movie I want to, which new Christmas movie I wanted to watch this year. Justin, what did you learn?
1: Well, I'm going to help you out and make you feel better by what I learned. And what I learned is Christmas movies are the perfect encapsulation of how our culture is obsessed with new and obsessed with destroying the culture that came before. And what I mean by that is there are so many great classic Christmas movies Amen. and we Die hard. we don't watch them anymore. Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, but uh, that is a <laughs> movie that kidding. takes place during Christmas.
0: <laughs> Just kidding. That
1: is an anti-feminist movie. It's definitely not a Christmas movie. Um, but th- think about like the year without a Santa Claus, right? The heat miser and the snow miser, right? Rudolph shiny yeah. new year. Why are we not watching these movies over and over again? We even had to make movies like elf, which people are convinced is a modern day classic, which is just annoying as fuck, right? No, oh, here's an no, adult who acts yeah. like a child. Oh, that's a good movie. That's what you guys want to watch every year, right? We are so obsessed with new and destroying culture before we are losing the greatness that our culture did create before. And I'm not saying everything old is great. There's a lot of crap out there, but what about all the great Christmas movies that existed that no one is watching anymore? So it's not you that's the problem, William. It's the culture. Think about it. It's everyone else. Well, that's what. Well, that's what the problem with Hallmark movies is. It's a mill. <laughs> And what I mean by that is, is why do you have to keep making these movies over and over again? Because people want, they don't want to watch the same thing. They want to feel They want the novelty. They want the novelty. instead of of the connection. Instead
0: of the connection to culture, they they want the novelty.
1: Right. Oh, it's new. Even though this is the same thing as before, it's new because it's new actors, new production. So they just make a mill to make a million. All right. I want to thank everybody for listening to the show. If it wasn't for you, this would just be me talking in the corner of my closet like a crazy person. I mean, it's still that. You just make me feel a little bit less crazy. If you want to support the show, you can do so by going to the midside.com slash store, picking up some merch, the midside.com slash the cut, buy my book. You can go to the midside.com slash Patreon and midside.com slash locals. We accept any and all support because that is how we keep the lights on. And most of all, you can tell a female friend maybe give them the human story the emotional story of the midside work on some spectacle to get them to listen to it talk about how cancelable we are maybe that'll get them to listen to it this concludes your journey into the midside i'm justin emas reminding you that if things get tough take a step back and witness the farce have a happy thanksgiving day
0: Weren't you the one going, making us record late because you were picking up a Christmas tree today? Putting a Christmas
1: tree out before Thanksgiving. Oh, I'm not putting it out. I just wanted to get it before it sold out. <laughs> putting it up Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. Okay. All I right. I just have the box. Just checking.
0: Just checking.